Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Roberts Enneking, and I am here to welcome you to the Real Eyes Realize podcast. This is a platform where we feature everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and the world at large. Real Eyes Realize is a show where life and service dance together. For all of our podcast listeners, we invite you to sit back or take us with you on your walk or drive or however you enjoy your podcast. But listen deeply. We are here with our guests, here to listen to the sparks that have inspired action and heart-centered service and highlight ways in which we can also be motivated and inspired to create the positive ripple effects in our world. We're prepared to get real as well, authentic, courageous, and vulnerable through truth-telling and in that relating with one another to the things that matter most. So thank you for being here and enjoy this special treat, our next episode, just for you. Well, here we are with Jessica Eastland on our Real Eyes, Real Eyes podcast. And it's so great to see you, have you, be with you. Thank you for carving out the time today, Jess. What I'd like to do is for our listeners, just let everybody know a little bit about our guest, and then we're going to dive right in. So (laughs) Jessica is an elementary school teacher with a passion for social, emotional well-being. She lives in the Bay Area with her husband, where they were both born and raised, and they live very near to most of their extended family, and she loves every second of it. She's a woman of many hobbies. Jessica enjoys any opportunity to be creative and to get outside in nature, and she's currently working her way through the 2021 52-week hike challenge. Though life can throw many hardballs, she doesn't let the beautiful moments and lessons go unnoticed. So with that, Jessica, we're so happy that you're here. Thank you. My first question for you is really more to kick us off. And I'd just love to have you tell us a little bit more about your story, about your journey thus far, and some pivotal moments in life that have sprung up for you in terms of some of those lessons that you talked about in your bio. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It is such a gift to be able to be here and to see your smiling face. And I just really appreciate the opportunity to be able to share my story and my family's story. And I hope that it's something that um, others can relate to and and bring some joy to their days. Um, Gosh, my, my journey, my story... I, um, you mentioned I'm born and raised here in the Bay area and going back to the very beginning, I, when I think back to my childhood, I think of it in the most beautiful way. It was filled with so much love and so much family and so much positivity. And I had always have had a really supportive network around me. A community started off really young for me with a, a close tight knit family, um, and lots of extended chosen family. Um, and I think that, that really shaped me as a kid to kind of see, you know, what is community? What's that like? What's a support network like? How do we interact with one another? And then um, I'd have to say kind of going through life, I did have these moments where I was kind of like, wow, I mean, I won't say my life's perfect, but things are good. Like things feel really good. And, you know, I hear these stories of other people having hard times and, you know, when's that going to happen for me? Like, not that I didn't have hardship. I had plenty of, of classic teenager year hardship and and the things that most people go through, but I hadn't had anything life shattering and knowing that everyone goes through some really big trials in their life. I did, by the time I was going into like early adulthood, I was like, wow, 
you know, I've been really lucky, really blessed, but you know, I know hardship's going to be coming. That's just how life, that's what life's about. Life has hardship. I know it's coming. And so when I was 24, we kind of kicked off a series of some, some hardship, a lot of hardship and kind of funny enough, I'm a big, deep feeling person. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was new year's Eve. Gosh, what year was that? New Year's Eve of 2015. So kicking off 16. So it was December 31st, 2015. And I woke up that morning and I can only describe it as a sense of dread. Like that's what I told my mom. I didn't really want to go anywhere. I didn't really want to do anything. I didn't want to celebrate, which is really unlike me because I like celebrating everything. Yeah. And I, I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety and I, and I embrace that and go through that and cope with that. Um, and I kind of tried to shake it off as just, I'm just having an anxious day. Like, what do I need to do to kind of overcome that and cope with that and ground myself? Um, but I could not shake it. And I've never forgotten that because that was really a point where things changed in our family. So wow. just a couple of weeks later, my grandpa who'd been facing Alzheimer's for seven years at that point, um, went on hospice care. And so unfortunately we lost him in January. Um, and I remember after he, it was my first personal loss, big loss. And I remember looking at my husband, Eric and saying, we have to do this over and over again with the people we love and the pets that we love. And like, no, <laughs> I don't want, I I'm not, no, I did not sign up for this. I don't want any part in this. No, thank you. And unfortunately, <laughs> I learned really quickly that, um, yeah, unfortunately death and loss is inevitable. And so it kind of avalanched and we lost my brother-in-law, unfortunately, about a month later, um, that year we had actually numerous family and friends. I would say there were probably, I think two other people within our greater community that we knew and were close to that we lost. So within 2016, I definitely had my first in my face taste of what grief and loss is like. And thank gosh, that was the year I got married because that was kind of the, that was the bright light that kind of balancer. Yeah. It was the balancer. You know, there were things to plan. There was beautiful moments happening. And I think that was important because it helped me kind of go, okay. Yeah. Things are really hard right now. I'm missing people. This isn't fair, but life's also still happening. There's still these beautiful moments. You know, we had, my cousin had her first child that year. So there was this beautiful life coming back full circle and, and our wedding, but you know, it was still dealing with how do I, how do I coexist with these two feelings, these two really big feelings of these beautiful things and these really, really hard, ugly, tough things. And, um, unfortunately 2017 included an, an additional piece where we also lost my grandma. So And all of those things kind of, we know a lot about hospitals that we never expected to understand. Lessons you don't ever expect to really take on. Um, And what it's like to be in the waiting, like not just the grief, but also bringing in um, long-term gradual loss. So for example, my grandma was in the hospital for a month before she she passed. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of waiting and a lot of uncertainty and that was hard. I did not like that. I don't think many people yeah. like those feelings. No, not a comfortable place. Um, 
And then ultimately my dad was diagnosed with ALS. And so his diagnosis actually ran up perfectly with my grandma's time, not perfectly, very imperfectly, um, with my grandma's time in the hospital. So the day that she went in for a very large surgery was the same day my dad went in for what they called the nerve conduction test for ALS, which is kind of the last piece. So kind of mixed in with all of these other losses was my dad's very gradual kind of slow progression of just noticing how his body wasn't quite working the way that it used to his, his foot would drop and he was tripping a little bit more. He was kind of tired and we kind of thought, Oh, well, you know, he's, he's getting older, work stressful. Like there's just a lot going on, but over time we kind of realized, no, there's, there's gotta be something more happening here. And ALS doesn't have a, any one definitive test to, to prove that it is that diagnosis. It's a process of elimination. So over the course of that, 20, late 2016, early 2017 time period, he was going through testing to rule out all of these other illnesses. And ultimately what was left was ALS or ALS. some sort of um, autoimmune that they don't know yeah. about yet. Um, so yeah, ultimately he had that test done the same time my grandma was having surgery. So we community came together and really kind of supported my mom and supported my brother and I and made sure everyone had what they needed on that day. Um, and then we found out maybe about a, a week after my grandma passed away that ALS was confirmed. I mean, as yeah. confirmed as it can be um, mm-hmm. at this point. And that kind of <laughs> brings us to now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No. Such an, uh, you know, when you think about, like you said, you know, you go through your, you know, your early, early life, you know, and get into the early adulthood and those twenties and um, it can kind of feel like, oh man, the world is my oyster. Right. Yeah. Like that, and, and that's what I, that's what I just love about you, Jessica, is there is this exuberance in how you see things. It's almost as if the, the view that you are looking through is, is, looking at the beauty and whatnot. And at the same time, you don't dismiss that there are hard things that go on. And so the, the genuine, um, not only vulnerability, but the genuine care that you have for yourself and your family and people around you is just so deep. And I think sometimes the, the deeper we go into grief and loss, the deeper we also are able to see beauty. Um, and you really do live that. So quite oh. wonderful. Do you find that, that, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, when I first got to know you, it was actually through your dad and um, he was doing um, not only working as a rocket scientist, but he and a a buddy, Jess Salem, had created this lighting for literacy, was designing solar lights that would be, you know, given to families who lived off the grid. Um, So how did service and being able to think about what we can do for the community. How was that a seed that was planted for you and your family? I mean, gosh, from early on, my dad was involved in a little bit of everything all the time. I tell people constantly, I cannot figure out how he did it all. Like he worked a lot. He was very dedicated to whatever project he was working on at, at any given time with work. He was involved with local city government. He was involved with different committees within the local city government. And yet he never missed a holiday. He never missed a birthday. He never missed, I mean, family dinner was a very consistent thing in our household every night. And 
so that's, that's one piece. The mystery of my dad is he was a little bit of everywhere and he, and he gave it his all, like everything he gave, he gave it his all. And so from an early young age, I saw him loving what he did for a living, but also wanting to make sure that he was giving back to the community that, that brought him to where he was. So whether it was participating in the Montesorino cultural commission or, um, helping out with a church barbecue or a church event, or just volunteer lending his truck to people so they could move lumber for a project they're working on. He was always finding some way to offer up his time and his care um, for others. And so I think that was, he was kind of in his blood from the beginning. and, And then that was modeled for me for a very, very, very long time. And so watching lighting for literacy unfold and watching um, how that kind of took root in Colinette and grew into what it is today was a beautiful thing. I feel like it's, it's something that he's always loved doing, but then he brought others into it. Like it included the greater community helping make the project happen. Um, something that I love about that program is also seeing how even in the communities that we're working in, how the community, the, the villages that we're in, the different parts of the world that we're visiting, everyone's a part of making Lighting for Literacy come to be. Um, and I'm totally on a tangent on Lighting for Literacy now, but... <laughs> That's okay. We'll um, bring back, but I just love that because that, that was the seed, I think, yeah. for, you know, in many ways of um, what's possible. You know, I, you know, I think what I what I remember most is that you know, like your dad and Jess would be in a garage and say, you know what, I bet we could figure out how to build a light to kind of like create, you know, an opportunity for people to have clean light in their homes Mm -hmm. for those that that don't have it. So just a wonderful way to use resources. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think from an early age, watching, watching his passion for helping definitely inspired me. And I think also kind of drove me towards my career in teaching. I I knew I wanted to do something that worked with people um, and interacted with people and had a a community component somehow. I could never see myself just either sitting or I I don't know, I could never picture anything other than being out in a community and interacting with people. Um, And I do think that that watching him all those years was a big piece of that. Like I knew I wanted to interact as a Well, and knowing your mom and your family, there were many, <laughs> many, I think, role models that you had in terms of that, that piece about how, oh. how, how to show up. Right. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So, so when you think about, okay, so your, your role as an educator, as a teacher, and I know how much the social emotional well-being yeah. is important to you. Um, so when you think about, you know, even in this past year of COVID, um, what has warmed your heart and what breaks your heart when you think about, you know, the kinds of challenges and hardships that, that, that people do face and, and adversity that exists in our world? I'm going to start with the, what breaks my heart first, I think, because yeah. that will kind of, kind of piggyback into the, what, what warms it. But it, I mean, this year has highlighted a lot of struggle, right? I mean, in, in yeah. so many ways that were known and unknown or yeah. known, but not shown. Yes. <laughs> this year forced a lot of things to come to the surface. Um, and I, I have to say what I struggle with most is just 
watching uh, injustice and suffering happen when it doesn't need to. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that suffering, suffering is a part of life. And I think that kind of like we were talking about earlier to a degree, it's what brings life to this beautiful place. And it's what teaches you lessons to overcome. And without that hardship, you, you can't see that same depth of beautifulness that life has to offer, but there's so much that happens in this world. That's not necessary struggle. And that breaks my heart when you, when you see something that is avoidable and people have the resources to be able to have it not be so. Um, and so I think fairness is a big thing for me in our household. We talk about the McNeil fairness gene. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when that. that gets poked, when that gene nerve gets poked, it just, it's funny. Cause it's kind of across the family line at least on my dad's side is kind of this right. when something's unfair, we cannot let it go. Like it just, it eats away at us and we get so angry about it. And, um, and I think that that's really because it's, it's a heartbreak component. I think it comes out as anger and frustration, but I think that it's, it's sadness mixed in there. Like what? this is happening. We're letting this happen right now and no one's doing anything about it. Um, So whether that be loss or whether that be inequity or whether that be avoidable struggle and pain, I think that's what breaks my heart most when there's action that can be taken, but nothing's being done. Um, And I think what warms my heart on the other side of that is seeing those beautiful moments where even just one person can stand up and speak up and say, Hey, this is not necessary you know, let's come together and let's make change. What do we need to do to make change? Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Bob Goff. I don't know if you've heard of Bob Goff before, but he, he, um, he has a podcast. It's called dream big. And, um, he has this idea that on his podcast that he talks about a lot where you, nothing can happen unless you speak it out in the world. Like if you keep it to yourself, it's just going to stay with yourself. So it's as simple as making sure you at least talk to one person and say, Hey, I have this idea. Uh And then it's amazing how that ripples out and what comes from that. And ultimately that's, that's lighting for literacy in a nutshell, right? Jess had been to Colinette with uh, LG UMC. Jess had this idea of, man, these families are running off kerosene. It's expensive. It's bad for them. It's dangerous. Yes. What can we do to be able to change that and make change? And he said that to one person who then said, Oh, well, I know this engineer, Doug McNeil, who totally, this is up his alley. Like I'm sure he could talk through this with you. And ultimately that conversation is the one you referred to at Starbucks on a napkin where they drafted out two engineers drafted out this plan for a compact renewable solar lighting kit. So what warms me, my heart is those moments where people come together and realize that it, it, though it might be hard, it seems hard to see, um, how any one single person can make change. If you can speak that out into the world, it can catch fire and then ripple out. Yes. And I think we've seen that in so many different ways in, in this year. And I know I've seen it in so many different ways within my struggles in my life. Yes. And that feeling you get from those heartwarming moments is enough to push you through all of those really hard, grueling parts. And we just, 
radical acts of kindness is what we need more of. And yeah, those moments are definitely what warm my heart. Well, a couple things that I love about what you highlight is one that it can start with just that comment of what do we need to do to make change? You know, and there's, there's something in there about the, we also like there's a togetherness factor. So it doesn't have to feel like one person is like taking the snowball uphill. Instead, it's the, how do we express that one, this does not feel like it has to be this way. And two, Mm -hmm. that we do have an option to actually do something here. And so let's put our heads together and think about what that might be. So when you think about even the, the children that you work with uh, and the community that you're involved with in so many ways, um, especially when you look at social and emotional well-being, tell me a little bit more about the ripple that you would like to see, the, the ripple of positivity or the ripple of grace. Um, what does that look like? I think, you know, we live in a time that's go, 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 go especially in the Silicon Valley. (laughs) Yes. And um, I really feel like in general, we don't take care of ourselves like collectively as, as a community. And I think as a country and as a world, like it's all the circles, right. I don't think we've lost that ability to make sure I shouldn't say we lost that ability. We we are not keeping track of our needs so much, our emotional well being. Um, making sure to take those moments to take some deep breaths and, and step away from um, work responsibilities and obligations and making sure that when you put yourself and you take care of yourself and your emotional well-being first, that does ripple out completely around you. So, yes. I mean, I totally know, I think anyone can recount times in their households where you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you're short with people and, and, you know, you start getting snippy and then it spreads, right? It's contagious right. around the household. Right. And that's the same thing with, with kindness. And when, you know, you extend a small random act of kindness towards whether it be someone, you know, or a stranger that makes them more inclined to then yeah. also extend that to someone they maybe know or don't know, but that yeah. it ripples out the negativity ripples out, which I think we also saw this year. I mean, how many times yeah. speaking for myself, I'd turn the news on and just get all freaked out yeah. and upset. And I started kind of learning. Okay. So after nine 30 PM, no more news, no more <laughs> news on Apple, no more news on the TV. Like I need to make sure that I'm setting myself up for an evening with restful sleep. Yes. And also kind of on the reverse side, not waking up to that. Don't immediately open the phone and look at what headlines are up because there's so, there's so much going on. Exactly. And all consuming the doom scrolling is dangerous. (laughs) Yes. But again, on the same front, it would only take one positive story, right? On the news, or maybe it's on Facebook or maybe, you know, in conversation with someone in passing to kind of turn the day around and go, okay, things are hard right now. It feels like the world's ending, but, but it's not like there's still yeah. good out there, even though <laughs> there's so much yeah. struggle yeah. and so much bad happening, there is still good. And I feel like yeah. this year was one of those years for me where I'd experienced some of these things within my own life, but I was seeing them play out on a much bigger scale. And in some ways that was very relatable and grounding in its own, like, okay, 
you know, we're, we're all struggling right now. We don't need to make that harder on each other. Like what can we be trying to do to, to lift each other out of this really tough year that we're in? So even in the midst of, you know, kind of seeing as a collective that there, mm-hmm. you know, it was hardship. Um, this is what I love is that the way that you've highlighted, you know, we can just kind of stop, take a moment and say, you know, where is it? You know, what is it that is going on here? And what do I need to do to just, Kate, what I love, it's just like, take it like one notch better. Like it doesn't have to be reversing the trajectory of what's going on. It's just, let's just make it a little bit better. And then that continues to propagate. Yeah. Um, so that, that sounds like um, just a strategy that's doable, you know, mm-hmm. a strategy that is not com- completely like unforeseen in terms of what's possible. And so I think that's pretty wild. And, you know, when you, I want to go back to, um, you know, with your dad and the diagnosis of ALS, I do know that there's been quite a lot of gathering that's happened around family, extended family and Mm -hmm. friends and some amazing organizations. Um, And so I'd love to know if you're open to it, just a little bit more about that um, journey with regards to your dad and ALS and then just how that has, you know, there's a quote that says magic is where or struggle is where the magic happens. So even in the midst of this kind of struggle, um, what kind of silver linings or magic have you witnessed? Definitely lots, definitely lots. I mean, when he first got diagnosed, I was fully in denial and was not in any way ready to accept that ALS is what he had. I studied it in my undergrad studies in um, speech pathology and audiology, and I'd heard all about it. And when that was kind of what was left, I very clearly was like, yeah, no, I reject that. That is not what's happening. That's not what's happening here. Um, And struggled a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think on on the other side, being on the other side of that now, because we're coming up on gosh, four years since he was diagnosed, obviously life is still going on (laughs) and, um, we've accepted it. It is what it is. Life, life dealt us these cards. And I think what got us to where we are now is figuring out what those silver linings are and what we needed to do to bring in some positivity to the struggle that we were faced with that part. You can't change, but you can change how you're going to handle the cards that you're dealt. And I needed what we all needed, my whole family. And I needed to find some things to help us deal with that and find some positivity. So, um, probably six months or so after my dad was diagnosed, he spent, Oh gosh, about a month and a half in the hospital. So with ALS, there's any number of things that can kind of contribute it. It affects the body differently for every person. And so for my dad, even though it was, um, kind of more his movement first, it wasn't more speech related first that did decline pretty quickly. So he had trouble breathing. He had a hard time swallowing and eating. So very quickly he developed, um, a infection in his lungs and just wasn't getting the nutrients he needed to be thriving. So he ended up in the hospital. They kind of watched him for a little while, trying to see how his body responded to treatments, but also if there were going to be other ones needed. And ultimately the team at the hospital said, if he wants to be able to go home, he's going to need a tracheostomy. Um, and we're going to need to do some procedures to make sure that he's stabilized in order to go home. 
So at that early on, he wasn't even sure he was going to leave the hospital. I mean, things weren't, weren't looking good at all. And, um, even then, you know, we weren't sure what was, what was next. There isn't a lot of, of guidance out there. ALS isn't something that affects a large pop. I mean, it does affect a large population, right. But in, in the scheme of, um, the country, not yes. everyone struggles with this. And so it's, you know, research is still being done as to how it affects the body and what treatments work depending on how it affects the body. And, you know, what resources do families need? And I'll get into that because yeah. we did get some great resources. Um, but early on, we were really on our own and had no idea what we were doing. And so there were people within his hospital team who kind of helped guide us what what sorts of machinery is going to need to come home if he's going to come home? You know, what kind of support yeah. care is he going to need at home? And all of that was very overwhelming and kind of hard to take in. Yeah, um, your life just changed on a dime there, didn't it? Everybody's, com- your mom's, your dad's, yours, yeah, your brother. Completely, completely. And and I tell people all the time something that, I, again, I've I've met a level of acceptance with this, but early on it was really daunting to watch my parents' bedroom, this still hard to talk about, turn into a hospital ultimately. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the joyful thing is we did get to bring him home. We weren't sure he was going to, but he did. Yeah. And I would yeah. say the next big jump that we had to take once we got all the, you know, lots of machinery and lots of um, different supplies that you need in order to bring an ALS patient home was also the care piece. My mom did it on her own for the longest time. And she's amazing. (laughs) She did a great job with that. But she also hit her point of like, okay, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not a trained professional and I need help. And I think we all come to those moments, right? I think we all like to be self-sufficient, but life's hard and it's not meant to be done on your own. Um, So we knew we needed to bring care in and that was kind of, this is always weird to talk about because we're community people, right? But like having people in your home all the time mm. is a really big jump. And so we it were kind of like, what's this going to be like having other people in our home with us all the time, hearing all of our tough conversations and our not so beautiful moments because we're yes. not perfect. <laughs> yes. And there was a lot of anxiety with that. And so he came home and February of 2018. And from day one, we had care staff in the house with us. And it was, it was an absolutely beautiful thing to watch because they kind of just, I mean, they're beautiful, amazing people as it is. So it's not surprising looking back on that now, but they're people that are called to that work are yeah. Very, very. Yes. Yes. And they just, they're family. All of his care team is family now. And you know, they became a part of our birthday celebrations and our Christmas celebrations. And again, I said this earlier, we celebrate everything. So yeah. every little celebration <laughs> in between, they became a part of that. So I think that yeah. first silver lining, you know, it's hard for us to ask for help. And, and we knew we had to in this situation, yeah. we could not yeah. give my dad what he needed. And that was hard to yeah. accept, but you know, hands up, knew we couldn't do this on our own and brought help in. And it was, it's such a gift. And I think his care team are people who we, who will be family forever. They've been with us through some of the hardest 
scariest moments and some of the happiest moments in our celebrations. And, you know, so yeah. they're, they're extended family now. So that would be a first silver lining is just, you know, it was hard to ask for help. And we kind of surrendered that need to control our situation. And what was given to us was this beautiful gift of, of more members of our community helping us mm-hmm. through these hard times. Um, but then I knew we, I needed to get involved somehow. And yeah, that's also me again, grabbing for control over a situation I had no control over. And I thought, okay, we need to be a part of raising awareness or something just tangible in some way to be able yeah. to, to focus on something positive. We can't change ALS. We can't, I mean, that's the hope someday that we can, right. But yeah. in this moment, we can't Have change the situation. Yeah. So what can we do to feel like we're making some steps forward? Kind of again, like, like you mentioned earlier, what's our first step here forward? <laughs> Not yes. 10 steps forward. What's the next oh. step forward? But I knew that there was a walk for Alzheimer's awareness with yes. the Alzheimer's association. It's like, there has to be something out there for, for ALS. So didn't take too Aside long from the water. Remember telling my dad about it. And then immediately there was kind of like this spark lit of like, okay, here's something good to focus on in this situation. Right. So we talked about, you know, well, when is the walk? What is the walk? What's it about? Is this something that dad can do? And, and it, you know, we noticed that it wasn't just a participant thing. You could make a team. And so it was like, okay, well, let's make a team and see who else wants to join it. And yeah. so we, we kind of thought about what we wanted to name it, wrote down some ideas and ultimately settled. I should not say settled. We didn't settle on anything. It was a, this was a choice. Like we really made this decision um, to go by team Maverick because my dad is, we call him our Maverick all the time. He's a, yeah, they're just doing things and, and always moving leading and chart. leading the way. But he's also, his middle name is Brett after Brett Maverick. <laughs> so it just, you know, multiple I never knew that. pieces. Yeah. Multiple yes. pieces involved here. So, um, team Maverick, the team Maverick was born and was born. Was like, yes. Yep. Awesome and focus. it kind of just took off. And I think, I think it ended up giving a sense of control and, and ability to help to, to anybody who wanted to help. Obviously we couldn't, no one could change the circumstances, but at least you could be coming together to try to support a cause that could help us make change in the future. Yes. And, um, you know, my dad from the beginning always said that he wanted to, as soon as he was diagnosed, his goals were to make sure obviously his family had what we needed to emotionally cope with everything that was going on. But he also had a huge goal to be making sure that even though nothing could be done about his situation and the trajectory of his illness. He wanted to do everything he could to change that for anyone in the future. So he was, has always been about making sure if, if there's anything he can, you know, information data, he can donate about himself research. He can donate about himself to the cause to be able to help scientists research ALS more. He really wanted to be a part of that. And then there was the fundraising piece, making sure that, um, he's doing everything that he can to help financially support the cause that's going to work to end ALS. And, you know, we hear a lot that ALS research, it's not that 
it's not possible. It's that it's underfunded. There's not enough funding and support for the cause. And so that really spoke to him and was something that was important to him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that from my, our conversation before, there's a couple um, different organizations that you all have supported. One that is more around ALS and resources and care and kind of giving education. And then another that is more tapped into the research itself. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the organizations that you really follow and are involved with? It'd be really Absolutely. great for our listeners to find out more. Yeah. So ALS Association popped up first because that's what popped up when I searched for, for walk for ALS was the ALS yeah. Association. So the walk to defeat ALS is their big, big fundraiser for the year. Um, and their, their focus is they have a lot of things that they're working on. So they have the research component where portions of their funding go towards research, supporting research projects, mm -hmm. but then they also focus on caregiver and patient supports. So they have local support groups. They have, um, care managers who help you navigate the reality that you're in. So ultimately that was a really big missing piece for us was we needed yes. some people to talk to like, okay, here's our situation. Here's what we have. Here's what we don't, what are we not thinking of that we need? So they have a lot of networking opportunities to kind of connect you up with supports that you need, whether they be people services or, um, really anything emotional services. Right. I mean, they, technology they just, just have, yeah, exactly. They're very interconnected. Um, Amazing. So that's important to us because we felt the, not just, you know, the struggle of watching my dad face the illness, but, but the whole family facing the illness. And yeah. that was something that was really appealing in, in regards to ALS association, because they really are supporting everyone going through the disease together, right. the whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And, but then of course going, I think it was my uncle had mentioned, you know, you know, what other nonprofits have you heard about in the ALS world? And so that kind of got me thinking, well, I, I'm curious about that. Like I should, I'm curious to know more about what's out there. And ultimately there are many. So there's many that often are started by families who have faced it and gone enough is enough. Like people yeah. cannot suffer through this alone. So they've started again, starting with one idea and then spreading out in the community. Many have started foundations that raise money. And some of them have their own research projects that they're working on. Some are donating to specific research projects. Um, but that led me to discovering ALS Therapy Development Institute, ALS TDI. Um, and they're located out East Coast, more East Coast. But I heard about them and thought their whole mission was amazing and important because their focus is solely on research. So obviously the support piece that the association offers is important. Um, but the projects that TDI is focusing on too really has its important place as well. Um, so they're, they're, oh, and I, I should look it up for the specifics, but I believe they're one of the largest nonprofit biotechs that's focusing solely just on ALS research. And, and sometimes that's hard as someone who wants to help everything. It's like, but there's so many right. things that you know, <laughs> need to be researched and focused on. But I think in this case, just like with any disease, yes. having one singular focus is really important, really funneling all that energy and all that attention onto that one project is important. 
Um, and so that really stood out to us as an important um, one to follow as well. Yeah. Well, I think that when you, when we tackle tough things, the ability to have, you know, that single pointed focus that, that, you know, not getting diluted from kind of the task at hand um, is really where I think the bigger impacts can come through. And so Mm -hmm. feeling that, you know, and and this is what I'm hearing you say is there's kind of a a focus of, you know, we want to go ahead and research is really important. So here's one organization that we want to dedicate, you Mm -hmm. know, time and attention and involvement and funding. And then the ALS association is actually the other piece of it to say, you know, these two organizations are really doing um, what we see as a very meeting a great need. So even though you've got single point, you also are saying, and there's two branches to it. And then that's mm-hmm. okay to hold both, right? Yeah. That's really an incredible thing. Yeah. Well, so when you, one of the things that I love about you and your family is this opportunity to kind of hold like this dichotomy, right? Of multiple things, but no matter how you hold it, you hold it with grace. And so I'm curious, and you, you talked about even, you know, anxiety and different things, what do you do for your own social emotional well-being when you start to feel like the the burden of things that are happening on your shoulders? How do you hold those things in grace personally? I think our listeners would love to hear more. Oh, well, I've tried a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah. What strategies can you give us? I, you know, I think something I've struggled with is that innately I'm a positive person. And so I thrive with positivity and, and all of these struggles have forced me to accept that that's not what life's all about. I mean, yes, positivity is important. There's also a lot of struggle and a lot of heart and it's, and you shouldn't dismiss that. Like you have to embrace that and let those feelings happen too, because they are also a part of the life experience. Um, and that's hard, obviously starting with, you know, things being pretty good and not dealing with a lot of intense hardship, um, was a huge privilege and something I feel very blessed by. Then I had to kind of figure out and navigate, okay, these feelings are hard. What tools do I have to be able to deal with that? And so early on, I realized this is so far outside of what I know. So I did start going to grief counseling to kind of gain some some support, someone to talk to outside of the family, but also someone to kind of offer up some strategies. And so that was helpful. And that has been something I've definitely leaned into. That was hard for me to be able to, you know, bring someone else again, bringing in support sometimes is hard for me. Um, but it did give me some strategies to kind of think about what I need to do to, to ground myself in these moments. Yes. Um, I will say, some things pop up on their own too. Right. So for like, for me, hiking was my thing. I kind of just know when I need to get outside, I get it. If I start feeling restless or a little tense in my gut, I know that it's time to just get outside. So I don't even remember how we came to this decision, but when my dad was still in the hospital, Eric and I started going for hikes just locally. We're so blessed by so many amazing open spaces in our area that we just picked some local ones and just started hiking every few days and that stuck. So over that whole spring, we ended up outside at least once or twice a week out for hikes. And 
it was the conversations that were had out there or even the unspoken healing that happens when you're out there, no matter who you're with. Yeah. That's just so powerful. So that, I mean, by far I have determined that nature is, is the medication that I need a lot of the time to kind of self-soothe um, whether it, and I think it's, it's kind of a senses thing, right? You have the smell yeah. and you have the sight and you have the sound and you have the, the exercise piece of it. And I think all of that, it, it helps you reach multi- multiple touch points at once. Um, but then a lot of it too, is just touching in with the community, like making sure that I have opportunities to talk with family and friends, not necessarily about the hard stuff, but just making sure to stay social and to lean into the community that is built around us, our support network. Um, and also have obviously talking about it, making sure that you have people in your life that you feel comfortable reaching out to. Um, and and sharing in that time. I do think that just like struggle magic, how did you say it earlier? Struggles where the magic happens. Struggles where the magic happens. Yep. I think that also is a piece with relationships. When you open up to people about the hard things in your life, it it deepens that trusting strong relationship with others too. So I definitely lean into the community and the people around me. I find if I'm avoiding social it's probably a sign that I actually need to get out yep. there. <laughs> <laughs> you're good at listening to those signs. I tell you, you are just, you're a gem at being able to be like, okay, that little nudge inside is telling me that this is time for me to get out of my comfort zone. And here I go. Um, what I'd like to do is, is kind of like hone in on how can the community support you and your family? at this point in time. I know that your dad has a birthday coming up in July. So when this podcast is going to be launched, it's going to be right around his birthday. Um, And also just, you know, I know that there must be financial tolls on the family and and whatnot. So what are the best ways that we can support you? Um, Well, Team Maverick is always looking for more people to join in. (laughs) We love, we love that networking piece, that community piece. Um, so people are more than welcome to join team Maverick and be a part. I know this year in particular, the walk to defeat ALS is a walk your own way, sort of a deal. So the cool thing with given, given just the uncertainty of COVID. So people can be kind of creating your own little walks within their communities. Um, and what is cool about that is no matter where you're located in the country or around the world, you can join in and, join us for walk day, wherever you are. Um, so that's, what's the day of that again? Oh gosh. I think it's, um, last year's date is what's sticking in my mind. Do you want me to look it up? I just, I thought you might have it off the top of your head. We can take a look. I don't have it off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, but that's one way, obviously supporting the nonprofits that are near and dear to our hearts. Um, so ALS TDI or ALS association, Um, but then the other piece of that, you kind of mentioned, there is a a very, very large financial toll that is placed on any family in any sort of medical situation, but home health in particular is mostly not covered by insurance and, and is pretty significant. Um, so we do have a couple of ways that financial supports coming straight to our family. There is a GoFundMe. There's also a tax deductible way through Morning Rotary. And if 
if that information is helpful, I can get more information on, yeah. on how that process works. Um, cause I know GoFundMe comes with a lot of ease, which is great, but there is another component too, that I know that Rotary has been doing to support our family too. Um, and it's, it's really hard to ask for help. I've found it really easy to fundraise for these different organizations. I have a really hard time fundraising for myself and I'm still trying to lean into that and figure out what, what is hard about that? <laughs> yeah. But. I, I think too, you know, you and your family are such um, the epitome of givers, you know, and the ability to give and to serve and to love. And um, I think that this is, it is oftentimes hard to receive. And, and at the same time, that's what keeps it going, right? The reciprocity, mm-hmm. the ability to really see that there's a balance between giving and receiving. So we absolutely want to support and help you and your family in, in any way that we can. One of the things that we do do is put together um, a collective resource. Um, and we have that on our, on our website with our collective resource hub. So if you'd be open to it, we can go ahead and h- highlight some of the different organizations with ALS yeah. and some of the research and also um, some of these links to how people can support. That would be That'd fantastic. Be that okay. would be great. 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 Oh, well, Jess, I'm so grateful for this time with you. I'd love to kind of just close it out with some collective questions that we answer or to ask to all of our guests. And um, this just gives us a chance to just really kind of hear from you and um, to kind of be in this space of, um, again, collectively together. (laughs) Here we are. So my first question to you is, what are you currently reading or watching? What's on your nightstand or what's in your most, most favorite watches? You know, I was on a roll with reading for a while. Yep. And then as soon as hybrid learning started, (laughs) things got more chaotic. (laughs) All of my reading schedule went totally out the window. Um, Gosh, I, I'm not sure I'm currently in the middle of anything, but I can highlight what some of my favorites from the last year. Perfect. Yeah. Or in the last, in the, in the winter months, I was definitely really focusing on that. Um, Oh, and now I'm going to forget the names of them. Um, hold on. Let me look up. So my favorite book, I mentioned Bob Goff earlier. The one, one of his books that I read, I read a couple of them, which is why I'm forgetting the name of the one that I just read that really, really spoke to me. And I think really drives me through the challenges that I'm facing and kind of connecting into the question you asked earlier about what breaks your heart and what warms your heart. He has multiple books, but he has one called everybody always that really, really, really spoke to me. And I think the full title is, um, pulling it up. Everybody always becoming love in a world full of setbacks and difficult people. (laughs) And that really, I needed that this year. That book really helped me focus on love. A lot of what he focuses on is love in difficult situations. And like the book title says, difficult people and um, still keeping love at the center of that. And so that's by far, I mean, it's kind of like still on my nightstand. I've already read it. It has like a hundred different dog-eared pages and it's almost all highlighted. I think I even dropped it in the pool one time, but it's still... (laughs) 
I think I was reading it on a floaty. Um, but it, it really spoke to me in the time and place that I'm in right now. So it's not a book I'm currently in, but it's a book that is like the one that's always on your nightstand because you refer back to it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a, just an incredible thing when, when you need it most, just open up any page and it's like, okay, that's exactly what I needed to hear right now. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, When you think about um, if you could eat dinner and engage in dialogue with anyone past or present, who would it be? Oh gosh. Who would it be? There's so many people. There's so many people. Family jumps to mind first. I'm kind of thinking through who in my family. Um, gosh. Uh, probably. And again, this is hard because I'd love to have dinner with so many people who aren't in my life anymore, but I would be a love, banquet, wouldn't it be? <laughs> it would be, it would a big celebration. Another thing to celebrate. Um, I would have to say in this moment who comes to mind is my maternal great grandma who I never got to meet. So my, yeah. my mom's mom's mom. Um, cause she, from everything that I've heard, she faced a lot of hardship. They lived up in, um, upper peninsula, Michigan, hard, hard, hard winters, mining, small mining community faced a yeah. ton of hardship but from everything I've heard, she didn't let that stop her. Like she kept, mm-hmm. kept grinding, kept grinding away. Yeah. But you know, everything that I hear from my, my grandma or heard from my grandma, cause she did pass away, but, and from my mom, just how did they push through those hard winters and those hard times, but yeah. still, you know, find that joy. And I, and I do, you know, from hearing their stories, I feel like there's a piece of her, in me. And I also see it in my mom and I saw it in my grandma of just, okay, yep. Things are hard, but you can do anything that you put your mind to. And I'd I'd love to have been able to hear those stories from her firsthand rather than pass down over time. Oh, that'd be an incredible dinner conversation, right? (laughs) Just about resilience and tips and tricks. And like, how is it that uh, we can be in the survivor mindset rather than Mm -hmm. in the victim mindset, which is just an incredible space. When you go through, um, you know, when we've talked about showing up with grace, is there anything that you say to yourself? Is there some like kind of like little quip that comes in when you want to remind yourself how to show up something that comes through? I often, I often just tell myself to just take things one step at a time. Like I tend to jump ahead. So I tend to go to like the end goal first and then freak out over everything that has to happen to get there. So often I have to take a deep breath and just tell myself, you know, what is your next step? Take that first next step. And then after that, you'll take whatever step needs to come after that. But like, don't start thinking about everything. Cause that gets really daunting and overwhelming. Like just take the first, the next first step forward. Yes. And let things that happen sounds- as they do. And great. Yeah. Amazing wisdom. Just take that first next step. That is such a (laughs) really critical part of it. Um, My last question for you is what are you grateful for today? What are you most grateful for? I, this is hard too, because gratitude, (laughs) gratitude is really important to me. And I I've gotten through one of my 
strategies too is having a gratitude journal to at least highlight a couple small things each day that I'm grateful for. Um, but in this moment and right now, I would have to say community. And I'm thinking about you and this opportunity to be able to share a little piece of our story and to be able to um, speak our truth in our struggles. And, and that comes down to community again. It's, it's that ripple effect, you know, yes. that my dad reached out into his community in, in his ways and made contact with you. And then we made contact through him and, and here we are. And that's what I'm grateful for is this web of community that's around us all the time. And, mm. and to be able to have this space, to be able to, to just talk about this with you is so important to me. And I'm very grateful for that. Oh, thank you, Jessica. I too, am so grateful for your time, your uh, just your, your honesty and your ability to just really be in this place of such a, such a teacher, such a teacher for all of us in terms of these ways of, of um, being able to listen to your heart and listen to those nudges. And at the same time, know that, um, that there is, there is change that we can make happen. So I'm grateful to be with you and with your family and, um, Let's see if we can kick the bejeebus out of ALS so that yes, we can please. have less families struggle through this. And um, we will certainly be continuing to let our listeners know how they can support you and uh, this cause. So thank you for your time today. Thank you, Christina. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation here on Real Eyes, Real Eyes podcast. We hope you take some time to let the wisdom and the stories that were shared here today sink in. And we welcome you to engage with us on our social channels at realize.love on Instagram, at realize.love on Facebook, and also our virtual voicemail on SpeakPipe. You can call us and let us know individuals you'd like to hear us interview or ideas for stories that you think would be impactful for others to hear. We also have links in the show notes and we invite you to go to our website, realeyes.love, where you will find an online resource hub. It is our gift to all of our listeners to provide you the resources and support in making your own ripple effects actualizing love in this world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing all that you do. And remember, be true. Be real, be you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.